The Sport Industry Access Podcast, Episode 26. What impact does sport policy have in modern day sport? another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a sports professional who can encourage you to be the best you can be in your profession, especially if you have a desire to work in the sports industry. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Keith Power. At the moment, he is currently working for the Malaysian government as he is the high-performance sports director. Most of all, over the last 25 years, Keith has built his experience in many areas of the sports industry. For example, like working with professional athletes, coaches within the industry as well with regards to high performance, but also he works with national governing bodies like UK Sport and even sport organisations like professional rugby clubs and football teams. With an interest in really enhancing the sports industry with regards to sports psychology and sport performance. For that reason, I can happily say it's such a privilege to have the opportunity to interview Keith as a special guest on the show. That's why in today's episode, Keith will share his career journey and explain to you why sport policy has such a big impact in modern day sport. Keith, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Please can you share your sports career journey to listeners? When did it all start? My sports journey probably um, started about 40 years ago. So I, I started to compete at sport at a very early age and really was incredibly fortunate that sport opened up so many doors for me. So it allowed me to get a scholarship, a sports scholarship to one of the top public schools of the UK and it also helped me get to get into a top sports university which uh, at the time was called West London Institute, commonly known as Brunel University. Whilst at university I was bobslaying for Great Britain and uh, I'm not sure if you could get away with it as much these days but uh, um, out of nine semesters um, I was actually only there for about four or five of them so I was either at training camps or, or actually competing and stuff so I, I, I kind of did my degree in abstentia as it were. I set up a business, a sports consultancy business and I had a background as a, a strength and conditioning coach and uh, also sports psychology was was a big passion of mine so I got more and more involved in the mental side of sport. Uh, I did a postgraduate degree with uh, Professor Stuart Biddle who many people would know. Uh, He's now at Melbourne um, but that was uh, at Exeter University. Got very fortunate over that period of time probably that's the last sort of 25 years or so just progressing and doing so many different things in so many different areas. So I got to to work with uh, some top, uh, what would be now known as a premiership football clubs in terms of sports psychology um, and then running into 
to a role which was more to do with a performance director's role at Harlequin's uh, Rugby Club, which would have been in the mid-1990s. Um, so it was the kind of uh, Will Carlin uh, era, the uh, the Jason Leonard era of rugby, just when rugby was, was going professional. And really expanding my horizon, so I kind of started off uh, just on the strength and conditioning on the mental side. I got more and more into the kind of management and leadership and learning about how you create systems and processes in sports. And from that, I ended up doing a lot of work in the corporate world and, again, learned so much there in terms of strategic design, in terms of culture change, um, in terms of, again, systems and processes uh, thinking. Uh, and got to work with uh, some top top companies like um, Motorola, like um, EDS, like uh, Hewlett Packard, um, <clears throat> running quite um, big projects with with some of those companies, and then filtering back to to sport again. A lot of sports organisations did some consultancy work for for UK sports. Ended up doing performance audits for very well-known uh, rugby clubs, rugby organisations, football teams, football clubs, that are, and actually um, doing performance audits, uh, performance reviews from for some governing bodies of sport in, in the UK as well. So, so really developing from a kind of a strength and conditioning background and having a real interest in, in sports psychology and, and developing on those levels. Um, and I almost missed out as well a big part of my life, which is coaching. So I took over as a very early age. Unfortunately, I got injured and then I got dropped from the 1988 Olympics, the bobsleigh team. So I put three years in my life into that. Didn't make it to the Olympic Games as a, as a competitor. But a couple of years later, ended up being the head coach for the British Bobsleigh Association and was very proud of a, being part of a, a team that helped change um, you know, the, the whole culture of bobsleigh and what we were trying to do. And having a team uh, or teams at the time outside the top 20 of the world and eventually winning World Cup events um, and being in the top five in the world on, on a consistent basis. So I was very fortunate to be head coach at two Olympic Games. Uh, so coaching was a big part of, of, of what I did as well. Uh, and so the kind of where I'm at now, the last the last couple of years, that all developed into being headhunted to go and work in the US as the high performance director of uh, University of California, Berkeley, um, which is known as Cal. And I was performance director for their... Um, for their athletic department, and it was the first ever role in um, in U.S. sport in the collegiate environment, and also in uh, in professional sport environment as well. So that was a massive challenge, uh, and I was there for four years. Had a, a fantastic time working with so many amazing coaches, so many amazing athletes, and people might not be so familiar with with Berkeley, but for example, at the last two Olympic Games it would have finished seventh in the medal table if it had been a country. So um, some seriously great coaches and athletes and, and great support staff there as well. Um, and then in uh, the last 18 months, um, been very fortunate to uh, be the high-performance director for a country, um, which is uh, – quite uh, unique and um, a, a fantastic challenge again for me. 
So that's working for Malaysia. So I report to the Minister of Sport in Malaysia, and essentially my role is is to create uh, world-class systems and, um, and processes and to create a sporting nation with uh, with Malaysia. Uh, Malaysia is very much a, a, a nation that loves sport. It loves its sport, but it's not quite a, a, a sporting nation yet. So I work with lots of agencies, bringing them together and looking about uh, looking at to best practice, looking at all the different things that we can do to take things uh, to another level. So essentially, we are, uh, I would say, uh, transforming sport and creating a, a true sports ecosystem for, for an entire nation of 30 million people. Keith, what a really fascinating career journey. Just touching back with regards to your sports science degree, how has that supported you looking back now? Well, it, it was um, massively important. But what I would what I would say is that Many of your, your listeners are, are, are probably students who are currently in sport or looking to, to get into a sport environment, and things were very different then. So, for example, at my university in my year, I think we had 30, 35 people. Um, I think in the same year now at Brunel, there's like 350. So, so it, it's it, it's very different in terms of the opportunities in sport there were probably less because there was less of a sports industry, but there was less people who were working in the sports industry at that moment in time. So I would probably argue, um, to be fair, it was probably a little bit easier to work in sport uh, at that moment in time. I I think now, although the sports industry is burgeoning and continues to to grow exponentially, um, there are more people competing for it. So what I would say is that uh, I, I think absolutely having a sports science degree uh, is critical. But what's perhaps more critical, because a lot of people have very good degrees, is you have to have a passion for what you do. You have to have a passion for, for sport and, and, and wanting to, to help people move on. How can you help people take them to, to another level? So that, that was a big thing for me. And Again, to be honest, I, I think one of the things that helped me is that I'd competed at the highest level of sport. So when I was working with you know top footballers, football clubs, rugby clubs, those kind of things, is you know I could wear a badge of honour. You know I knew what they were going through. I'd, I'd been able to compete at the highest level. So I'm not saying that everyone is competed at, uh, at sport. That means they can automatically um, go into work with top performers. Um, not the case um, always, but but I think that if you have a combination, not necessarily of, of competing at international sport, but if you've competed at sport and if you're doing sport, um, I think that gives you a much better insight of being able to work in the sports industry. I couldn't agree with you more with regards to the passion. Just touching back when during your high performance days as regards to bobsleighing, how have you seen? sport developed from a high performance perspective with regards to sports science? Well, we were actually, but bobsleigh was really one of the first sports to, to completely um, uh, buy into sports science. And the thing was, was that uh, there has been an enormous amount of progress in sports science uh, over the years. So certainly, um, when we were doing bobsleigh, uh, when I was the head coach, uh, I brought in top biomechanists to do uh, uh, an analysis, a 3D 
analysis to have strain gauges on on our bobsleigh to to measure force factors uh, and velocities. We had a sports psychologist working with us pretty much uh, full time. We used to use what was then known as um, uh, British Olympic Medical Centre to do our physiological testing and monitoring. Um, but in many respects, we, we were outliers. Um, and because I'd come from a sports science background and, and, and it really helped me to understand how I could use and apply sports science in, in that particular field. So uh, certainly, like I say, we were pretty much outliers. There was only a handful of sports that were thinking like that and acting like that at that moment in time. And if you go, you know, you go full forward now, 25 years or so I think sports science is just a massive massive part of uh, and a, an integral part of, of sports performance and um, there's almost a, a kind of a, a war going on at the moment in, in certain industries in terms of pushing the boundaries about how much sports science um, is being utilized and, and, and again what I would say and this might be a bit con- uh, controversial is that I think in many instances there's an over-reliance on sports science and I think too many people I mean, the irony of all ironies is when I started out, it was really hard to sell coaches and to sell sports teams sports science uh, because it wasn't that kind of culture. It, it was that the head coach did everything and sports science was on the back burner and it was really people in white coats in, in labs. That's the way people saw sports science. It was real hard sell. To, you know, today is that if you look at premiership uh, football clubs and rugby clubs, they have massive backroom stars. Of, of sports scientists and I think it's very important but I actually think that creating uh, a culture and creating a sports ecosystem um, is as equally important if not in many uh, instances far more important so I think we're in in situations now where um, we have a lot of top sports teams and this is even at an international level who have unbelievably talented athletes, they have great coaches, they have great sports science, sports medicine backup, but often they're not working on creating the right kind of climate, the motivational environment, the, the culture that's required. And certainly it was one of the things with working in a corporate environment and, and learning the importance of culture change and change management, that's something that I think sport could learn massively from and could do a much better job of. Just from your experience as a whole, with regards to this sports industry, just for students listening in who want to work in it, what core skills do you need? I think that you have to have the the, the skills training part of it, so that it's important to have a sports-related degree. Um, and I think sometimes having more of a generalist degree, which is around sports studies or even physical education, can can be better than honing in into just sports science, for example, or one aspect of sports science. But whatever it is, is that I think having um, you know academic qualifications and going through a rigorous process of of, of, of training and mentoring um, at an undergraduate level, and also arguably these days it's becoming more and more important to have postgraduate um, qualifications as well. I think those things are really important. But I think the ability to, to be patient, um, particularly in this day, day and age with uh, YOLO and uh, 
where things are going is is people want to get to the end, end game and we, we live in a, a microwave society you know how do we get to the end game as quickly as possible so I think you, you kind of like you have to do the hard yards and you have to be willing to be patient and you've got to understand is that like whatever you do in six months time you're not going to be the CEO of that organization right and and, and I think um, in my time recently, I was uh, uh, an adjunct professor um, at a university in uh, in California and uh, mentored a lot of sports psychology uh, postgraduates. And again, there, there was a lot of, you know, like, how do I get to the end game as, as, as quickly as possible, as opposed to in many respects, it's about the journey and, and taking the time and being mindful um, often a much overused phrase, but being mindful about what you're trying to learn and and just being patient and taking your time about things. That's that's something that I think is, is really key to it. That's even area I'm learning. It's all about the process than the actual end goal. And I'm even learning that through this podcast journey. Just relating to today's main topic, and it sort of relates to the work you're doing now, what impact does sport policy have now in modern day sport? Sport policy is is critical um, in, in this day and age, and the UK is very fortunate that um, it has a very consistent long term sports policy, and the funding for it has become you know very consistent. And there's no doubt in my mind is that the the way the sports policy has been developed and put together is probably the number one factor why Britain has become so successful at the Olympic Games. You know, in the, if you, you, know, you go back to uh, you know, Atlanta in 96, which was you know, a complete disaster and a, and a, and a real wake-up call, there was a realisation by, um, I think it was the John Major's government at the time, that they, there needed to be a long-term sports development policy. And, of course, the thing with uh, long-term policies, it takes some time to implement. Um, but certainly, um, I feel the whole thing around creating good sports policy um, is very important. Again, the Great Britain has shown the results um, from that. And I think in other nations as well, they're getting to, to realize um, the importance that um, sports policy has to create elite level uh, performance. So um, I'm kind of on the outside of an organization called, called Spliss, um, which is, uh, and there's several people from the UK who are heavily involved in that uh, uh, and also from, from Europe and other parts of the world. And it's an organization that, that uh, is a research organization and an applied um uh, organization that looks into elite sports policy so what's best practice what are the top nations doing um, that are different and if people are interested they can you know just google spliss and they've got there's lots of great information there about the spliss model and the research and what's happening um, in elite level sports policy and it's very clear uh, from that information is that the the countries that are investing the most into long-term sports policy and covering off 
most of the areas in the ecosystem. So from talent ident- from participation to talent ID to development, all the way through to elite level sports science facilities, resources, those things, the ones that are ticking the most boxes in most of those critical nine pillars of sports policy are the ones that uh, uh, are making it at the highest level. That sounds really interesting. Would you mind explaining in a bit more detail the work you're doing out of Malaysia from the from a sports policy perspective? Sure, sure, absolutely. So um, I think the first thing to understand as a starting point is that uh, Malaysia has a has a rich history uh, in sport heritage in in sport, and uh, particularly in the the seventies and eighties, uh, were certainly was very comparable at, uh, at a world level. Uh, to many other nations, certainly, and certainly at an Asian level. Um, and I'd also say that many of the agencies that I, that I work with, with the Sports Council, with the Institute of Sport, is that they're very high-class you know, organizations that are doing you know, a very good job. Um, my job is really to, to bring together the agencies, to get them to work together, um, to create, for example, on the coaching side, uh, just recently appointed a national director uh, of coaching to, to create a coaching ecosystem, which isn't as strong as we would all like uh, in Malaysia, uh, to bring together in school sports, so working with the Ministry of Education here uh, about how we can gr- uh, create more participation in schools, um, working on a talent identification project. So, you know, how can we take the if we get more, more participation, how can we streamline that? Um, we've also created in the last um, 18 months um, our elite program, which is podium program. Uh, and again, we've um, recruited a, a top person to, to run that, Tim Newnham, who many people may know. He's a performance um, head of uh, performance for podium. Um, so what I'm really looking at is all the component parts that make up a sports ecosystem from sports science to sports medicine, uh, to coaching, to facilities and working with the key players in the system, trying to bring them together, trying to align them, creating, um, really kind of like culture change 101. So having a very clear um, why, what, and how, what are the mission, visions, uh, and goals that we're all trying to work to, together and getting people to understand what their part is in that system. And the big part of it, um, which is always challenging uh, in, in many environments, is looking at a long-term strategy there. So rather than just fix things for the moment, uh, which is important to do, and, and, in, and exponentially increase uh, performance in the short term, I think it's also what we're trying to do here is to get a a long-term sports policy. And even in the short time that uh, I've been here, we've seen some, you know, big changes. And certainly um, results-wise, and and certainly I'm not trying to claim the credit for this because there's a lot of people here that have done a lot of work long before I got here. But Malaysia in uh, Rio had its best ever. Um, results at an Olympic Games, both in um, able body and also in in the Paralympics. So 
our best ever before was uh, was pretty much a, a couple of medals, and um, we won five medals, and we won three golds in uh, you know the Paralympics. So clearly, you know, there, there's great progress being being made, and that's testament to a lot of people working very hard and, and working together to achieve a common goal. Just touching back on the strategy and all the components you're trying to sort out, do you bear in mind with regards to the vision? Are you sort of focusing on the elite side of sport or more mass participation and grassroots, or are you trying to have a balance? It's a balance on on, on everything because we, you know within a uh, you know a sports ecosystem, and I think it, it's something that that Great Britain has done you know particularly well. So I think that back in the day is that where all this really came from uh, as a model was a number of the Eastern Bloc countries, not least, you know, East Germany. And, and obviously there was terrible things that happened in East Germany in terms of uh, particularly on the doping side and, and lots of very bad unethical things that happened. But but in terms of the sports model that, that they utilised in terms of creating uh, talent identification, increasing participation, the use of sports science, understanding you know the criticality of having world-class coaching creating almost like a no-way system you know so so a lot of talent transfer going on because it was a very small population so what happened was after the 76 games where Australia had a disaster they looked at what was happening with East Germany and they decided they were going to build institutes of sport they were going to create a sports ecosystem and the irony of all, all ironies is kind of Great Britain <laughs> took that idea from Australia and we were getting um, so we were getting Great Britain was getting beaten up a lot um, uh, in, in international sport by the Aussies uh, and now kind of like gone full circle and uh, uh, I know, uh, obviously, Australian sport has, has got some challenges. So, in terms of in terms of Malaysia, what I'm doing is that I'm looking at uh, global best practice strategies in terms of building a sports ecosystem. So, looking at all those component parts, uh, measuring them, understanding where our strengths and weaknesses are, and then focusing on the things that we need to to work on. So. At the moment, uh, our phase one, we have a, a new uh, exciting program that we're launching um, in January, which is called Winning Mentality, um, which is really um, to, is our key brand in terms of selling with, with our ecosystem. And what we're really focusing on to, to begin with is, is in three, three areas. So the first one is building a winning mentality with our athletes. So doing a lot more work with them in terms of um, lifestyle management with them, in terms of sports psychology services and provision, looking to work uh, with the Ministry of Education. So we develop sport um, as, as a more all-rounded athleticism program uh, in schools. Um, then the second part is with coaching. So we, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we're, we've got our first ever national um, sports coaching you know, conference and we've got speakers coming from all over the world so coaching is going to be a huge part of that because you can't have athletes with a winning mentality unless you've got coaches with a winning mentality and the third part of that in terms of, uh, of, a, of a policy is the first part of this 
is um, is also from a from a leadership and, and communication side. So in terms of our key leaders within the ecosystem, we're doing a lot of stuff uh, with them over the next six months or so, um, just to look at the way we can build uh, capacity and, and capability with our sports leaders here. Just touching back on your career, what do you enjoy the most in the work you're doing at the moment? At the moment or, or over my career? Both. Well, I, I think... Ultimately, I'm an old man now in relative terms. Well, we're not too old, I guess. But I just don't think you can beat competing. Uh, and, you know, the the opportunity I had from an early age, I mean, I, I started doing sport pretty seriously when I was 10 years old um, and was fortunate to compete in three different sports internationally. Just how the importance of training and competitions and how it takes you out of your comfort zone and, and, and how it, you know, create so much for you is is that's just been tremendous and that's something that I really miss I mean I still enjoy working out and training and doing stuff and I'm uh, actually until fairly recently I used to play kind of uh, competitive cricket but so that side of me is still be part of it but I, I certainly miss the competitive side of it and so you know when I hear maybe younger athletes whinging and moaning about it's really hard and training this and training that is you know I just try and remind them of that is just to again go back be mindful enjoy that moment because it it doesn't last too long so so that was a that's probably um, one of the the most things that I miss and that I enjoyed uh, coaching um, I love being involved with co- coaches uh, coaching was a key part of things but also you know I love the the work I did in sports psychology. I mean, I I still do work in sports psychology, but um, not as much these days. But working with athletes and teams and developing and seeing them grow has has been fantastic. But I love what I'm doing now. You know, I I love the opportunity. Uh, I love the opportunity that I had to create an ecosystem with one of the top universities in the world uh, academically and one of the top sports universities in the world and um, it's fantastic to work with Malaysia because the people have tremendous passion we've got a lot of untapped talent here a lot of untapped resources um, that we can work on so you know it's um, it's all good Ed it's all it's all been good I I can't really look back and I mean we'll have ups and downs and uh, disappointments uh, obviously not going to the olympic games as a competitor was a was a you know a big disappointment for me but um you know all part all of it is is been great and and i guess one of the lessons I'd, I'd throw out there for for people who are maybe sports graduates or looking to go into a sports uh, industry is you know it, it's okay to 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 fail and, and i you know I, I fail all the time i fail on a daily basis but that's okay, and I think a lot of people that's one of their hurdles, which is they, they want a safe they want a safe route. But if you work in one industry like where I came from, which was mainly kind of strength and conditioning and kind of fitness testing and and a bit of sports psychology, is that you've got to be kind of bold and, and and go outside your comfort zone and try and do something that you've you know you've never done before. So you know I was twenty. 25 years old, 24 years old, when I took over as the national director of coaching for bobsleigh, right? So, you know, what did, what did I know? I knew I'd competed in bobsleigh for, for, for three years, but I was still pretty young. I had a, a sports science background, but, you know, it was a process of, you know, learning and failure um, to get to the levels that, 
that we needed to to get to. So you know, so I think that I think one of the lessons I, I'd share with people is that um, don't be afraid to to go out of a particular comfort zone and out of a particular area because you know I started in one area and and I've been on a fantastic journey being able to to work in so many different aspects of sport and I think everyone has has the potential to to be able to do that Keith that is great and I really do hope the listeners take that piece of advice on board because I'm always learning from failures and sometimes you actually improve yourself in the long run and I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with this inspirational question what advice would you give to university sports students who want to pursue a career in the sports industry well, again, for I guess I'd probably be repeating a couple of things that, that I'd said a little bit earlier. But I think the, the big part of it is that you've got to have that passion. You've got to have that, that desire. And you've got to have um, that, that clear goal of what you want to achieve and, and really get after it. And again, is that there's a lot of research these days that's showing that um, – Younger people's tolerance levels, their resilience levels are actually, in relative terms, much lower than they were a few generations ago. Um, so I think that that sometimes um, people expect things a bit more these days on a plate, that they'll just walk into a job and it'll just happen for them and they have a degree and they kind of like it and they kind of you know, enjoy sport, but you can't kind of anything, right? You've you got to be committed to it you know, 100% because like anything in life it's a competitive marketplace you know sport in itself in terms of um com- competitive sport is in you know incredibly tiny in terms of the margins of success and failure and it's the same thing if you want to work in that industry there are so many people who want to work in there and so it's not necessarily about talent and hard work although those two things are really critical people need to understand that everyone once you get to a certain level, and uh, certainly when they get into the sports industry, the people that they'll be competing against for jobs, they're all talented and they're probably all going to work hard. So what is it about you that's that's going to be a little bit of different? And it's different for different people, okay? And it's only something that people you need to figure out for themselves. So there isn't a magic wand. I would just say to people is that they have to have absolutely uh, a key passion for what they do. And, and really to understand that, you know, talent and hard work is just not enough. Keith, that is great. And I really do take that piece of advice on board as well. How can people interact with you? So probably the, the best at the moment is the um, Keith Power HP uh, on Twitter. Um, so if, if people want to follow me around um, on Twitter, see what I'm up to and what I'm doing, uh, that would probably be the best way to, uh, to interact with me. Fantastic. To all the listeners listening in, all of Keith's uh, Twitter feeds will be on my website relating to this blog post. Keith, it's been great chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Ed. Thanks for inviting me. What an incredible interview by Keith with such an impressive CV with regards to his knowledge and experience in the sports industry. I said to him straight after the show that he just blown me away. And I said as well the exact words that he just provided so many golden nuggets and gems with regards to what the sports industry is about. But if you're a student studying sport policy, I really do hope that this interview inspires your essays because Keith just gives everything in a nutshell with regards to the process from an elite sport perspective and also grassroots. 
And it is right, it's all about having the balance. But as I said to Keith after the show, you know, it's a lot of hard work behind the scenes. And it just also highlights how well GB done at Rio with regards to the Olympics. And it just shows that all the people behind the scenes deserve credit as much as those athletes as well. But most of all, it's very rare I say this, but I hope you do this. With regards to the podcast show, I do recommend that you listen to them again, but particularly this one. I've listened to this show a few times now, and every time I learn something new. So I really do hope that you listen to this interview again, and which will hopefully help you out in the future with regards to your career prospects in the sports industry. As always, at the end of each interview, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Keith said, It's okay to fail. Be bold. Go out your comfort zone and try something new you haven't done before. In life, we always have that fear within us when we try something new and also when we're out our comfort zone. But really challenging those two areas, you're challenging yourself, you're driving your vision with regards to your career future. 